This is Music Farmer. I am Ben Grimm, and that really is my name. I have a great conversation with Kenny Williams on this episode, someone I've seen perform many, many times, an exceptional vocalist, performer, theater actor, and entertainer. Let's get some Kenny in our life and then go into that conversation. Check this out. Suggest you get the best of your wish. May I insist that no contest for little you or smaller eye, a larger chance said, but all them they lie on the rise, on the brink of our lives. Bella, please, Bella, you beautiful Luna. Professional vocalist and performer for many years now, and an Austinite. Yeah. Say hello. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I feel honored. Yeah, this is nice. awesome. I uh, so you're you're an Austinite. You want to talk about that a little bit? That that's what first caught my eye when because that seems to be a rare thing, <laughs> and I keep hearing. So I got to talk about this for a second. For that being a rare thing. Uh, the pa- I've heard many people say in the over the past three weeks when I tell them that I'm an Austinite and I'm from Austin, <laughs> they keep saying, "Well, that's rare." I get that too. It's so crazy. What oh is my- happening? Is some is someone kidnapping all the Austinites <laughs> and it, or or uh, deporting them out of the state or the city or something? What's happening? Either they are leaving or there's just that many new people in Austin. Because I get the same thing when I tell people I'm from Austin, and they're like, "What? You're a rarity?" And I was like, "Really? I feel like we're still." And yeah, it was an alarm, alarming number of people saying yeah. that. Oh wow, that's rare. Yeah, yeah. I think Austin's become like New York, just very transient, and so people are coming and going. And there are so many new people in town that we are kind of like becoming the relics. <laughs> <laughs> relics, museum relics. I know, but I love, I, I, I love being from Austin. And when I moved back, it was like. It's not often you want to move back to where you're from. Usually people fight all their lives to get out of where they're from. But I was so excited coming back from New York. I lived in New York for 15 years before coming back to Austin. And it was for me, it was Austin or L.A., and mainly because my best friend lived in L.A. But Austin just won out, especially with the way it's grown and changed and become more of an adult city, more cosmopolitan, more universal, more variety, more diversity. Um, it's just it was better, especially coming from New York. It was just a, it was it was better for me. I liked it better than L.A. So. Where did this love for Malbec come from? <laughs> I love wine. Period. But wine. No. Period. But no, you just I like love, big. I like love bold big, wines like that. bold, spicy, dry reds. Very acidic. I do. I just love Malbecs, Cabernets, um, Spanish wine, anything Southern Rhone or Southern France. Um, Dubrovnik has some amazing wines. Was shocked the hell I mean, yeah. they do. Yeah. Have you yeah. been? Have you spent any time in South America? I haven't spent much time in South America, and I want to. That's next on my list. I haven't been to Rio. I haven't been besides Mexico, which is not South America, Mexico. But 
Mexican wine. (laughs) Haven't had that. That, But I love tequila. tequila. (laughs) But I love tequila, yes. (laughs) Doing the UT School of Music proud, aren't you? Oh, (laughs) I guess. I'm like, it's just so funny. Um, Yeah, I guess I am. I don't really think about it so much, you know. Because I know when I... I went into UT as a music major on scholarship as a voice major, applied voice major. And um, by by the time I got to my junior year, I switched from being applied to BA so I can kind of shake myself and do more or less what I wanted to do musically. Because I knew I didn't want to make my living singing opera. I didn't want to teach. And by that time, I was in a band on 6th Street. I was singing, doing session work in studios and doing jingles and backgrounds. And I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So you did the Sixth Street thing for a little while. I I have a hard time seeing that. I know. I um, I was in a band called Hot Wax. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It was a 50s, 60s rock review. And we were the house band at Toulouse. I don't think Toulouse is still there anymore. That was like a Bourbon Street type bar? Yeah. Used to be right across from Steamboat. Okay. Um, Kitty Corner from Kitty or Caddy? What do you say? Kitty Corner or Caddy Corner? Caddy Wampus. Okay. From Maggie Mays. Okay. And so we were the house band every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. You came, you got a show. It was amazing. You know, I did that for three years and absolutely loved it. For three years? Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. But, you know, of course, I hung out on 6th Street, of course. You yeah. Know, Alley Oops, all those Catfish Station, all those great bars that are no longer there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're a very different type of entertainer performer that I've ever than I've ever done a radio show or interview with. Uh, different from the musician that you know grows a local following and then gets in a van and drives to nearby states to play <laughs> music. Do you still? I mean, at, but at this point in your career, is there still this some of the same amount of hustle for you to try to keep auditions on your radar and things like that? There is, and I'm really kind of in the space right now that. Theater is secondary. Even though that's how I've made my living for the past 20 or more years, I'm a little more focused on the music than I am doing theater. And when, So when I say that, as far as performing live and recording and putting myself out there as a singer and a performer more than I am as a singer and an actor, um, like coming back to Austin, I love how I've gotten that Zach that Zach welcomed me back as they did. It's like it was amazing to like get back into doing shows there. But I'm very selective about what shows I do. When it comes to theater, it's not the main focus like it was before. Now I'm kind of back to my first love, um, my heart, which is as a solo artist and performing as myself, Kenny Williams, on stage in front of a band. Um, I performed at Brass House, and I would like to do more music in, music in Austin, but I'm also very – I don't want to just be another – cogging the wheels, so to speak. I don't want to just be another musician spinning their wheels, just gigging all the time and going nowhere. I don't I don't want that. So I mean I look I definitely look for other avenues and other options that would take me around the world doing what I love to do. Does it get does it get to you or do you does it give you pause sometimes not not doing your own original stuff and always singing other people's music? It does give me pause sometimes, um, but the dream has always been to, like, from when I was five years old, I was like, I'm going to be a singer entertainer. And I, I know so many people who we love and admire today made their living singing other people's music. Um, so that doesn't, 
It doesn't stop me. It gives me pause. Yes. Does it stop me? No. Um, you're doing what you want to do. I'm doing what I love to do and what I want to do. Yeah. Okay. So, and I feel like that there is definitely a, an untapped songwriter in me. I just haven't tapped into that part of me yet, mm-hmm. but I know it's there. So you've been a part of the Zach Theater family since the '90s. Yes. Uh, my first show was Once on This Island in '94, I believe. '93 or '94. Known as Zach Scott then. As Zachary Scott, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like Zach. What is like, yeah, Zachary Scott then. <laughs> um, that was my first show. I didn't know what I was doing. Oh my God, I was horrible. I look at the, I, look at the, I have a videotape of the show and I watch it and it's, I just laugh. I can't do anything but laugh because I was like, I was horrible. But after, I remember after opening night, just falling in love with that, all that that was about. Um, and it took me that long. <laughs> Through rehearsals, I had my doubts. And there were many moments I was like, just get your bag, walk out, and don't come back. Just don't <laughs> come back. Well, I heard some short, short, quick story about you being in the box office briefly, and you were really <laughs> terrible. <laughs> you got fired from that job. No, I wasn't terrible. <laughs> I mean, because I have those skills. You know, as far as working I'm on exaggerating. Work, I know. Working on a computer. I mean, I have those those skills. I've been administrative assistant a lot in a lot of places here in Austin. It was the phone thing you just didn't want to do. <laughs> I worked at a bank. I mean, so I've done all that stuff. But I was like, you know, it was something to get me through a period. And I was just like, yeah, because that, that wasn't my heart. That's not where I really wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and you do the and you do the happy hour show now in in the bar that I work at. That's yeah. how we know each other. Yeah. For just let me you know put that out he there. He pushes Mal back on me. I push Mal back <laughs> on you, and and I've been at Zach for for about four years now, and you've oh wow yeah done I, the happy hour show for yeah. the bar and other shows. Yeah. Uh, talk about you can talk about sophisticated ladies, uh, <sighs> the Duke Ellington show, and Christmas Carol some, and your your parts in those. That was amazing. That was probably one of my. Today, one of my um, most fulfilling and rewarding moments on stage was doing Sophisticated Ladies. That show was an all-time favorite of mine from even the original production back in the 80s with um, Phyllis Hyman and Gregory Hines. And so when Zach said they were doing it, I was like, yes. Um, and so, you know, they extended me the opportunities to be a part of that show. And so there was no question about that I would, would do that. And then along with the amazing talent that was there, Jennifer Holiday and Chanel from Trinity Five Seven and the dancing. Um where did Chanel go after after Christmas Carol? She is in California. Back her and her, with her hubby. They moved to Berkeley. Do you know what, what yeah. do you know what was next for her after that or is she I don't know. taking some time off? I don't know. I don't know. she's she's always on the move. She's always mm-hmm. making things happen, but I'm not sure what is going on. I know Definitely with her more recording, back into the studio. Um, theater was such a new thing for her, and she, who knows? She may got a bu- she may have a bug now. So, but I know her. You know, her heart is in recording and performing. I meant to talk to her about career. New Orleans before uh, she left, but it yeah. just didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, she's definitely the one to talk to about New Orleans. Uh, yeah, I missed my window. <laughs> Call her back. Yeah, that sophisticated ladies Duke Ellington show. Ooh. Music was great. The that, dancing was. I really enjoyed the, the full, having the full band on stage. Yes. Since you know that's a Zach Theater doesn't do a whole lot of that, mm-hmm. so it was really great to yeah. have that. And it was a full orchestra. Exactly. I mean, it was only thing missing were strings, you know, but it was the horns. Oh my God, to hear that was just an amazing thing to hear. Just and it just 
fueled you so much more to have that right behind you. Granted, it was loud sometimes, but it just gave <laughs> you everything you needed to do what you had to do on that stage. And then the dancing, there wasn't, there's never been a show with Zach that has that had that kind of dancing. Mm-hmm. That just full out. No, the tap dancing tapping, blew me away. Oh my god! And two of those guys are from Austin. That was the most amazing thing that we actually. I said we actually had that here. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit of a time machine. Yeah. Time machine type yeah. of moment. Yeah. And then of course Christmas Carol, um, Dave Stakely's baby was just. I mean, Dave's really good at when it comes to those review shows. He's for rocking rocking Christmas party for years was the Austin. Um, Christmas tradition at the Paramount started at Zach, moved to the Paramount, then moved back to Zach. Um, and so it was nice to be part of another Christmas show like that. That was that has such the impact on the guests and families. And Christmas time was just a fun time, you know. And the, it, it, and that show made the music fun because it it updated and con- and contemporized a show that most people wouldn't mm-hmm. normally go see. I know I would have no desire to see. A Christmas Carol. If it was just a Christmas Carol, <laughs> and he doesn't change at the end, right? <laughs> but you know, he's this still with, mean. with the modern music. I mean, I mean, and not just modern music, but music of today, like songs you hear on the radio right now. I think just opened that show and made it so much more accessible to an audience today that, like I said, would would not want to go see a Christmas Carol if you told them, "Oh, we're going to see a Christmas." Carol. Which ghost were you? The Ghost of Christmas Past. And you played yeah. some other and the Charitable Gentleman. Okay, number one. <laughs> charitable because there were two yeah. what, were you, what, what exactly were you giving away oh no we were collecting money we were like we were the, we were the oh. charity we were collecting okay. money okay yeah. but we were we were sharing our our, our not our about philanthropy and, yes <laughs> <laughs> the christmas spirit is what we were giving away in return for your money he's a wealthy a wealthy <laughs> black man in the 1800s right oh my god what two a, of them what a concept right what are you trying to say? No wonder he was Scrooge was really mad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, this show was this show was the only, there were also Hispanics, there was Asian. I mean, Tiny Tim was Asian this year. Yeah, that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. See, so see, it wasn't just the black man. No, Zach does, Zach <laughs> does very well with that. Yeah, they do. So they with really shows do. with shows like that that run, you know, just over a month or barely under a month, when you're doing mm-hmm. when you're doing songs like that. Does it get does it get really weird? Do you feel like sometimes you're kind of going through the motions? You know that last those last few shows. Never. You don't have that Groundhog Day experience. Like you just it doesn't it doesn't get repetitive mm-hmm. for you. Mm-mm. I think as an actor and a performer, that's just part for the court. That's just part of what we do, keeping it fresh every day. Because it may be my three hundredth show, but for the person in the audience, it's their first. So I have to make. They deserve to have that performance. Like it's my first show. So, and that's how you've lasted so long. That's how you lasted so long in this business. Yeah, I mean, you have to. That's just part of the commitment to what we do. You have to keep it fresh. I mean, you you know, and I've learned as an actor. I may come to however I come to the theater. Maybe if I'm tired or what, whatever may. I don't try to force myself to be in 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 a, a, a certain mood to perform. I've learned to just kind of let myself go with where I am. And that generally just by doing that, eventually I just feeding off other people as well. You come out of that, whatever you're in, you come out of it. So it's never this, I, I guess the question was, it's never this fake thing that you're never, putting never, on the last never. few days of the show to just get it Mm-mm. get it done. Never. Okay, At least not for me. It's always authentic and always genuine. There's Fantastic. never a time I phoned it in. Never. That's incredible. Thank you. 
Have you done any work in Vegas? No, I haven't. I get that all the time. I'm open to it. I would like to, but um, no. Hasn't happened yet. Mm-mm. I was thinking about when I was writing some of this stuff down, a show, those performers, when I went to Vegas for the first time last year on Halloween, and we went to a show, you know, of course, you got to go see some kind of show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a smaller show. It wasn't a huge headlining thing. And it's it must be, it's hard for those performers because me, you know, myself and just looking around and watching because of Ve- what the way Vegas is, obviously the partying, mm-hmm. um, you're doing that experience or you're a part of a bachelor party, which I was, <laughs> all the walking around uh-huh. and the stimulation. So when you get in a dark room and you sit down and you're like, uh-oh, I feel a nap coming on. Uh-huh. Like I, uh, It's like, oh, no, I want to watch this. I want to enjoy this, but and I paid money, a lot of money for this, but I, I'm tired. <laughs> Who was it? And the show, like, it was, you know, just nobody fell asleep. N- not in my uh-huh. group. But just, I, you know, I was feeling that, you know, I had that feeling, right. and I was like, oh, I don't feel like I'm getting the most out of this show. <laughs> and they weren't, and like, like they, they really had the performers, the, the guys on it? stage, oh, it was... It was something. It, it was a, like a variety show. Okay. Yeah, it was a lot of a lot of different things. Was it the Vegas show? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I can't. And I can't remember where we were. Uh, but it was one of those big variety okay. shows. A lot of talented people. Mm-hmm. And you know, but they really had to like, really had to like keep checking the crowd into it. Like they, yeah. it seems like that's a problem yeah. in Vegas where audiences, you know, they're. They've been at a buffet and drinking a lot, and they're tired from walking around and overstimulated, right. and they've been awake for yeah. two days. I mean, that's that's frustrating for the performer because, you know, you want people. To, it's lovely when we have that audience that just goes crazy the moment you step foot on the stage, and that energy is just from, from the beginning all the way through to the end. But at the same time, there has to be – you're doing it for more than just the audience and for a reaction. You know, like I'm not one of those performers that – yeah, I would like for it to be that crazy, crazy crowd, but at the same time, I still owe them the show that I owe them. Even if they look sleepy. Even if they look sleepy, or if they're really, if they are asleep in the front row, we, we get that sometimes. <laughs> Which happens. It happens. You know, you still gotta because you never know who's watching. You mm-hmm. don't know who's out there and who's watching. And right. You just gotta do what you commit to what you've committed yourself to do and do it. Yeah. You know, it's just that's how I. I'm. I'm never one to blame a show on the audience i'm like if it fell flat then it's something we didn't do i can't, you can't blame the audience mm-hmm. I just, i'm not one of those people to do that well see i asked a, a question like that in, in a previous episode but about bands mm-hmm. you know about bands that are really putting out an energetic show on stage and the audience is kind of just kind of just drinking a beer and standing there mm-hmm. and they don't look like they're into it but the right. whole that that vegas experience that vegas experience is very different because i noticed that you have these you know, variety yeah. show these people doing like really incredible things on stage, and everyone's just kind of like, you know, right. at, not right. even at half speed; right. they're half asleep. <laughs> right, right. And I, and I, I imagine too in Vegas, half that audience is over sixty, so they probably are. Really <laughs> <tired>. <laughs> it's way past their bedtime. Yeah. So you never know. You never know. Your days working in New York in New York mm-hmm. theater. Let's talk about that some. Okay. Lion King? Yes, eight and a half years. Oh. Eight and a half years, okay. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. something we haven't talked about before at Zach, really. So I didn't Ooh. even know that you were yeah. doing that that long. 
That was my Broadway debut, 2002 through 2011. Um, Yeah, eight and a half years. But I mean, within that time, because they were very good at, um, because that show was what we used to call it a government job. It's a show that's not going anywhere. So it's like (laughs) they would allow you, if they could cover you, which they usually did because it had so many companies from all around the world that that have closed. And so I went away and did other productions during that time. So I would take a leave of absence and go away and do a show for three months um, or do a show at Encores um, in New York City for two months or do this, re- you know, they would allow you that. If they can cover you, they would allow you that opportunity to do that. And so um, it wasn't monotonous. There was always something going on. I went out and filled in, filled in on the tour, the Lion King tour for six months. So, you know, it was a change. It was the same, but it wasn't. Cool. You know, so, but that was, that was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. I mean, Were you the same character the whole eight years? Well, yeah, I, I was a singer in the ensemble. I was bonsai understudy. I covered all the South African um, specialties, the um, antelopes. And, um, I mean, my track alone, I was the head of the rhino. I was grass. I was a bird. I was, I was plant, grass. I was myself. <laughs> yeah. I was a hyena in the ensemble and be prepared. So, I was on stage at every moment but stampede. And if I wasn't on stage, I was off stage singing. So yeah. I was always, there was never a dull moment. So, yeah. How long of a show was that? It was three hours and then... Like a Les Mis type show. Yeah. And then they cut it down to maybe like two and a half, 240. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But it's still a long show. Yeah. So you can you see the tour. You want to talk about the tour a little bit and yeah, I some highlights out, of that. Yeah. Well, wow. This what's the highlight of that? Well, the highlight of that for me was when I went out on tour. I went out to to take over the role of the high antelope. So it's the role I covered in New York. Um, so I took over that role for six months. That was nice. So the circle of life. The opening scene with I keep um, I keep forgetting Lion King is a movie about animals. That <laughs> I, I guess I just <laughs> forgot that. It's like what? <laughs> it's like I was I played grass. What? I played grass, right? Yeah, and that was the mo- that's the beauty of that. They show, have such though. personalities. It's like how they like took a cartoon and brought it to life on stage, but it wasn't fuzzy costumes, and it was an incredible puppetry and from the imagination of Miss Julie Taymor. I mean, it was it was amazing what they did to infuse the, the human being and the movement of the in, into one. It was just. Incredible, and, you know, and so yeah, I was the high antelope. So <laughs> I had like this little kind of diaper um, type thing on me. I can't, I can't describe what half man, like, half deer, kind of, yeah. yeah. And then I had these sticks that were supposed to like you know simulate my my my, my legs, and the, way, and the way we walked was very much like a ram on mountains, you know, which is like that. So all the and, the, and I had a um, headpiece that was like the the. Nose and mouth coming down, and then these huge horns that went up. And granted, in Lion King, with all the stuff on you, I mean, it, it looked heavier than it really was. But when you have that weight on your head, and then you're moving things around, and the way you have, the way we had to move to 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 um, simulate that animal, it's like that kind of it's a little wear and tear on your body. And so, like, gotta be it definitely, mm-hmm. yeah. It's not like, a natural, not natural, not natural movements. No, it's not. And, you know, and just even though it was like not even five pounds, it's still like that little bit of weight added to your neck 
is over time going to take its toll. You know, eight years eight you did that half. show. Eight and a half. Eight and a half. <laughs> And the whole time, and that whole, and, and that whole time, you were calling New York home. Oh, it, it was, yeah. I I moved to New York in '99, and I got in Lion King 2002, and I left New York in 2000. When did I leave New York? 2013, 2012. So there's Broadway, and then there's kind of like some offshoots of not the official Broadway. It's kind of near Broadway, but still like a huge theater off district. Broadway? Yeah, yeah, off Broadway, off off Broadway, off off Broadway, off 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 Broadway. Um, and all that has to do with the house. It has to do with, well, I don't know what, everything it has to do with, but I know it has to do with the size of the house. It's, it's all comes down to money, really, what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that is, that ranks as one of the, one of the bigger productions in New York. Oh yeah. And it's Absolutely. 18 years and it's still going strong and it's still, it's the top selling show as of now. And I think in Broadway history. Don't quote me on that, but I want to say that's right. Um, yeah. Would you go back to really intense theater performing like that, or do I you would. want to? St- you would? No, I would. I would with the right show and the right, right opportunity. I would. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. As a matter of fact, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm not. I wouldn't just up and go back to New York. I would go back with a, with a show, but I wouldn't just move back. For one, it's too cold. <laughs> it is very I don't cold like the place. Cold. <laughs> I'm over the cold. But you still just in, just as much enjoy the regional Zach productions. I do, I do, because it's you know it, it's funny because like Broadway is it's the, it's the pinnacle. It's I mean you can't beat the budget you get to put on a show on Broadway, you know. But it's like the art. I feel like the art really happens and regionally. Because regionally, you 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 have sometimes more artistic freedom to create and to create something new and fresh than you do in the commercial world, which is what Broadway is. You know, it's it's big budgets. It's everyone from middle America and around the world coming in to see this. So you you have to give people something that's going you know that's going to sell for one, and so. Your hands are tied to a point, artistically. Yeah. Or in the region, you're kind of open. You can to stretch, create. stretch, can and stretch bend things. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. So and the gig, the gig on the cruise line. Let's. Oh. Let's go to that. Was this? <laughs> are we moving chronologically? This is after New York. No. Um. The, actually, the cruise line started when I first my first job on a cruise ship was in 2000. I had just moved to New York, and it was it was that. Sum, I moved to New York in '99, the summer. So then that, then I came back home. I did Rockin' Christmas Party for the last time with the Paramount. And then I was back in New York 2000, January. And that summer, there was nothing really going on um, in New York. Let's take no, a cruise. No, take that back. Take that back. Not the summer. Because um, that summer of 2000, I did Alabama Shakespeare Festival. But after that summer, when that show was over, I did, that's when it was the cruise. And I was like, my agent was like, well, there's nothing going on in the city right now. Go make that money, come back home, you know. And so, that's what I did. And I actually went to an audition in New York. My my agent submitted me. And at that time, I would audition. I would just go because auditioning is a skill in and of itself that is unlike the job you're auditioning for. So it's like the more you audition, the better you get at auditioning. And so I just went to audition, and I did my songs, and then I did them again, and they videotaped me. And and then I get a call the next day saying they want you. 
And I was like, okay, what's that mean? The next <laughs> day. Yeah, the next day. Nice. And I was like, my agent's like, I've never negoti- negotiated a cruise ship contract. And I was like, well, I have some friends who've done it, so let me call them and see what they now, say. At least you had that yeah. to go to. And so, but unbeknownst to me, everything I asked for was already included in the position. So it was perfect. And so I was like, okay. And that's just where that started. And then I got Lion King in 2002. And then I went, after leaving Lion King, I went back to cruise ships just because I was like, just to keep working and get out of the city for a while. That was before I moved back to Austin. So that's how that started. So where where were some places, some places you went? Oh, God. Um... Well, my whole time on ships, I've been. It's a warm cruise, I guess. We're talking yes, about. yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, granted, I've been. I've, I know because cruising when it's cold makes. You no leave sense New to me. York to do an Alaskan cruise. Exactly, that makes no sense to me. If you're going to be on a cruise ship, it needs to be hot and sunny. But um, of course, I started in the Caribbean, so it's you know your basic, Jamaica, Mexico, Aruba, Curacao. How St. long St. Nevis. Yeah. How long? How long in the water before you stop and get off? Oh, you're in the war. I mean, on the Caribbean cruises, you're there. You know, you may you leave at eight in the morning, and well, you leave at five thirty in the afternoon from a port, and you travel all night, and you're the next port six seven in the morning. And usually there for eight hours, you move on. Then you have a couple of sea days, which you're at sea all day, and you're just on the ship, and there's nothing but water for miles. I like that. That's very calming. I like it. It's very peaceful in the water. I like being on the water. Minus the pir- pirates. Exactly. Been through a couple of those. Oh, my God. Panama. <laughs> really? Um, Suez Canal crossings um, from Europe to Asia, and and they have people come on the ship and to protect us, and we, we have pirate watch, <laughs> which I did once. Um, you were on pirate yeah, watch. Yeah, you just, you just sat on the deck. I just sat on the deck for like four hours and just with binoculars and a, and a, and a, and a radio. <laughs> For anything suspicious, you know, it's just funny. We had to check in every hour, telling him if there was if everything was okay. All's well. All's well. Starboard side, forward, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, I haven't done any cruises yet, so I don't have any. I don't have any personal yeah. anecdotes, and of course, I'm really in- inquisitive about it because I haven't done any any cruises, and I've only uh-huh. known a few people that have gone and done it. And of course, they stay too drunk the whole time to really remember any of it. <laughs> so. What's a routine, the routine of that gig on a cruise ship, what is that like? Uh, well, it's different. It's different if you, it's different from Royal Caribbean, if I'm on one of the bigger ships in the Caribbean, versus what I've been doing for the past few years on a smaller ship in Europe. Because um, for one, the clientele is different. Like you just mentioned, on the bigger ships in the, in the Caribbean, yes, it's, Belly flop competitions. It's you know people are going. It's bottomless total, margar- yes, bottomless total, margaritas. Exactly right. You know people walk around with with the beer caps and all that kind of stuff. It's all that. And so yeah, we, that sounds a little too frat, we, frat boy. You know, <laughs> and we we'll perform like um, we have like two or three shows depending on the ship. Um, some is two, some is three, and they they also hire guest entertainers. So say you come on the cruise on a Sunday, you may get the production cast performing a show. And then two days go by, you have guest entertainers that come in there, and then we do another show on that Thursday, and then guest entertainers, and, we, and we'll do another show that Friday, and then it's done. Um, usually two shows a night. Um, we rehearse in Miami for like four weeks, depending on how many shows you're learning, four to six weeks. So there's off-the-ship rehearsal. Yeah, we, okay. we rehearse off um, on land, and then we move to the ship. 
Okay. And then we have what they call, it would be like the equivalent of tech in theater here on land, but we have what we call install, where we actually install the shows from land to the ship. So then the, the, the costumers come in and refit everything to the new cast. Sometimes they buy new stuff, but it's usually just refitting everything to the new cast um, and just work tech and lights and sound with the new cast. Same shows, but just new cast. And, um, and that's it. And on the bigger ships, you can disappear. I could do my show and then disappear. On the smaller ships, it's different because we're such... We're, we're high profile on the smaller ships. Yeah. And so then being a feature singer... You, like have to, was, you have to stay confined to a certain part. We don't. Have to, no, we don't. You don't actually, have to. No, we don't have to. But we're actually like the. We're kind of celebrities on the smaller ship because on the smaller ship, four of the singers, two singers and two of the dancers do, do activities. So they are with the guest when they're not on stage. They're doing bingo and trivia and stuff like that with the guest. Then you have two singers that are featured and two dancers, the barbone couple that are featured, and I was a featured, and so. We don't have to do those activities, but like if people, if you're out and about, you got to socialize, and people wanted to have dinner with you, and they can request you to have dinner with them or host the table, and so you have to always be on. There's never yeah, a time when you you're have off. to write that whole Disney thing. Right. <laughs> <I'm just> like, <laughs> okay. Cannot be out of character. But I was okay with that. I mean, I I don't mind the socializing. I was like, can I have a glass of wine? I said, sure. I'm like, good. As long as I can have a glass of wine in my hand, I'll socialize and talk all night. And I was like, I'm good. But you know, on the bigger ships, it's, it's different. I can do my show. And, and then go to my cabin or hang out at the crew bar, which is like. And then you're uh, a nobody. And then, but <laughs> I go. I choose pick and choose when I want to go out. And I can go, I can go out and and be totally anonymous. On that's a, great on a ship yeah. with six thousand people. On a ship with seven hundred guests, it's just smaller. That's not that easy. Mm-hmm. Like when I go out, people, oh my god, you all, oh and so it's like, you know, so you, so you, you got to be okay with being on whenever you're out, because when you're when you're out, you're on. Simple right. as that. There's no disappearing. Right. And you're, you're and you're representing the cruise line yeah. and yourself. And, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, there's never a time. You know, I can't go being drunk and streaking through the ship or anything like that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know why that's that's, uh, that was funny. I, <laughs> I just had this weird. Yeah. <laughs> this drunken drunken Lion King singer. Streaking across the cruise ship. <laughs> oh my god! So how do audiences? So you said, of course, that you know different cruises differ in the vibe and yeah. the party happening. Yes. So how do the audiences differ on from theater? Mm, I wouldn't say not too much. Not too much. No. I mean, the ship audience, for the most part, they like what they know. So most of the shows are review shows. They're songs that you people know and they love, and then. I, on the smaller ship, I did my own show. So, and 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 people are very vocal about, oh, you should do this, or you should do that, you know. So, but people like what they know. They like to be entertained, but they like what they know. That's the best way to put it, I think. With, um, yeah. yeah, they're not trying. They're on vacation. They're not trying. You don't want to. You don't want to be too preachy. You don't want to. You don't want to create the environment they, do like, they kinda, like they're in a classroom. Do they kind of think like you work for this cruise ship and that's what you do year round? Do they kind of think that? Sometimes they do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, well, I'll, I'll be quick to correct them if they if they just assume that. But yeah, <laughs> I'm like, no, no. So like, what are you doing next? Or what ship are you going to be on next? And I'm like, well, I'm going to be at home for a while, and you know, but they expect to see you when they come back. They're like, 
Because sometimes there are people, I mean, who have who have done that and have made their living at just doing contract after contract after contract. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you're performing, you're doing what you love, making great money, and you're traveling because your life is taken care of. You don't pay rent, you don't pay for your food, you don't you pay half price for your drinks. It's just like well, what's a, a ball, what's a ballpark figure of someone experience kind of a headliner act on a cruise ship? What, what can you make? Well, a headliner act and being a singer and dancer on a cruise ship, that, those, are, those are two different things. Like, I mean, a headliner, uh, I just, I've, I've just kind of gone into that that realm. But a headliner, I mean, because you're your own act. I mean, from you can make anywhere, anywhere from two to four thousand dollars, five thousand dollars for that week. Just for those two for the shows. weeks, and yeah. you eat and drink for free. Yeah. Do you feel trapped inside of a hotel sometimes? No, because you, like I said, you're in port. You get you get off the ship. You, you're not stuck on water and stuck on the ship. You your ship becomes your hotel. So like when we're in port, you come and go. And like the beautiful thing about when I worked on the smaller ship, and you were, we were like especially going throughout Europe and throughout Asia and since we're a smaller ship we can get like right in the middle of town and so that becomes that becomes your hotel and so you just come and go off that ship all night long there's no curfew there's no that's your home so okay we're done with work we go out you know or if we're not working you just like you have the whole evening out and you're that you come and go as you please was there a place when you were doing the cruise thing that you were able to get out of the touristy places or a culture that you got to go into that really uh, really stuck out to you or you really enjoyed? Yeah. It would have to be when we went to Myanmar. Because we were the first ship, for one, to ever go into Myanmar. It's the old Rangoon, if that sounds more familiar to people. Sounds really exotic. But Myanmar, it's kind of a, it was like stuck in in time. And it's just, oh my God, like the, the temples and the monks and... Oh, it was just gorgeous. It was like that's probably the place that had the biggest impact on me. Um, but then you know, you all. I've been. I'm. Well, I'm the kind of person. Where did I, you see I, a weird per- police? The police presence there, or the military? Was that ever a thing that you did you notice any weirdness there. with that? With there? No. Okay. No. Um, no. Mm-mm. Not there. I mean, Thailand is another place that blew me away. Um, but I'm the kind of person where I, when I, whenever I go out and about, I always tend to not go to the touristy spots. Like, I'll try my best to get amongst the locals, eat where locals eat, go where they go, because you get, you get a whole different experience. Exactly. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm one to go off the beaten path, and I like that. So you are a member of the Platters now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, is <it> like, <laughs> what is it like being a part of a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame group? Let's first introduce the platters. Everyone's heard these songs. The younger peoples, and even myself, we've heard these songs, but we never make the connection of who it is, probably, or most likely. Here's two of their hits, two great songs. The platters. Oh, yes, I'm the great pretender. And, of course, this one. Only you can do make all this world I mean, it's magical. It really is. It's just like, and it's magical because 
I experience that through how I affect the fans who come to our shows. Like I've from from Tokyo to Milwaukee, it's incredible. This this whole net, this nostalgia network and, and and the people that come out. I mean, you see 60, 60 year old women and six seventy year old women. It's like, pro- like it's like prom night again. It's like prom yeah. night all over again, and just like the, the the memories you recreate for these people through this music and the reaction I've gotten as the lead singer and singing these songs, it's just been. So this gig, this gig has taken you the furthest to to Hong Kong and no, I, I went to Hong gone, Kong on the ship. So, oh, you've gone okay. Yeah, I went. So that was not a new thing. That was not a new thing. No, I mean I've been over a good. I can't say half the world, but. A good chunk. I counted the countries, but I can't remember what the number the number was, so I can't tell you right now. That but is I, a very cool thing, and I, I find it, I find it very. It's a very exciting for me and this show to have someone that's, you know, performed in Hong Kong and yeah. places on the other side of the world that's sitting in my, you know, sitting in my yeah. rough little garage right now doing this show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. But that's the thing. The, the big difference is that traveling to Hong Kong and traveling to Tokyo with the platters. It was a different. It's just a different way of traveling. I'm not on a ship, so it's like I'm there and I'm in a hotel and I'm there. It's different when you when I'm on land and I'm there for a week or so, and I come and go as I please. Versus only there for a day or two or three, and I'm on a ship. It's just it's just different. Like the, with the platters, it's more or less how I like to travel. You know, I'm in a hotel and I'm there for a while. My, my bags are unpacked and I'm there for a while. I get to enjoy it and stay in it in a way that's not like on the cruise ship. So how did this gig come about? How did you get this? Um, actually, uh, um, the female singer that was in the group, when she came, she came back to the group, and when the lead singer at the time left, she told their manager, she said, you, you just talk to this guy. I think you would like him. And so then he reached out to me, and I sent him a couple of clips of me singing from my show on the ship, my solo show, on the ship, and um, then he actually came to flew to Austin and saw me in Sophisticated Ladies. Okay, okay. And the next day we had lunch and we talked. I thought about it over the weekend, and, the, and that's the velvety that's smooth stuff they're looking for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's how it happened. Yeah. Are there other groups like that that are still touring and doing shows that are, you know, keeping that whole historical thing there alive? There are the coasters and the drifters. I mean, I just left from New York um, a couple of days back and did a show with the Shirelles. Um, You may remember that song, um, We Used to Love Me Tomorrow, One Fine Day. Um, but the lead singer, Shirley, she was there and she performed. The Chiffons, the original lead singer of the Chiffons, she was still there, but now singing with her niece and her daughter. Um, as the other two f- vocalists, there was the the coasters and the drifters, and a lot of those groups. Yeah, the drifters, the drifters, stand by me is probably one yeah. of my my favorite song of that era yeah. and genre. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. and sure. usually with a lot of those groups, you have like sometimes one original member, especially with certain ones, you have one original member that still kind of carry, carries on the legacy of of that group, and they add other guys to it. Um. Like I said, that world is just, I, I was, my mind was blown. At, I mean, sold out houses, you know, seven, anywhere from 12 Still to Still very alive and well. Seats, still alive and well. 
do it's you, crazy. Do you do you feel like you're help you know, like you're helping drive a time machine at times? Is that kind of a that <laughs> having that kind of a gig? It's total time machine. Yeah, because all the original members have, have passed away. I yeah. think the, the last one, Herb, in 2012. 2012, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, who and was I've, the Who was the first? Who was the original? The lead guy, Tony Williams. Tony Williams, yeah, no relation. Okay, people always ask me, "Are, are you related?" Yeah, because I'm Kenny Williams. So they're like, "Are you?" Cause, and and people think I sound like him. I, I think I sound nothing like him, but I think there, there are qualities about my voice that I possess that he possesses, and so people compare them, and then of course our names, and they're like, "Oh my god." You know, but yeah, it is a little bit of a strange concept to me, and maybe most of my listeners like that of that facet of the music industry yeah. that's still, you know, there's all the original members are dead, but it's still a, a really popular yeah. touring thing. Oh yeah, I mean, and we are technically the only four people that can now call ourselves the Platters because there are so many groups that they're like like the Coasters and the Drifters. A lot of those groups don't have the rights to the name, the music, and so... Like, you're not, it's not just a cover band, even though you're covering the songs in a way, but you're not a cover band of the Platters. Since we stem from the original group via Herb Reed, we are the Platters. Anyone else who's out there would have to say they are a tribute band to the Platters. Okay. You know, we can say we're the Platters, because, I mean, I met Herb Reed back in 2000 when I first met that group, and... They're based out of Boston. You know, somebody runs the estate, and everything is still. They got all before he died. He got all the rights back to the songs. He got the right back, rights back to the name because he is the founding member who actually created the name The Platters. So oh all yeah, the, yeah. And he was touring with them up until his death, and so, and we didn't. Repl- so the the Platters have always been five, but they didn't. Re- after Herb died, just out of respect, they didn't replace him, and so now we're four. But we're the only four that can call ourselves the platters. Like we can, that can be on the marquee, not okay. tribute group group for the plat. You know what I mean? We the platters. That's all we have to say. Well, what is your favorite song to sing? Oh God! When you're uh, when you're on stage with them. I mean, I love so many, but I would have to say my favorite song to sing is "My Prayer." Yeah, it's a song that was actually featured. People may know it from the 2008 blockbuster hit, A Curious Case of Benjamin Button, starring Brad Pitt. It was actually featured in that movie and nominated for an Oscar that same year yeah. for that movie. Yeah. Okay. So that's my favorite songs. Yeah. A lot of pressure in learning the songs because going overseas, everyone's really... Yeah. They, they want to hear that to be exactly... As it was, oh, and they do in the fifties. However, I mean, that was a concern of mine when I got in the group, and I, I talked about that with the manager when I met with him, and I was like, "Because I'm," I said, "One thing I will not do is imitate." I was like, "Oh, the you, whole affectation thing, yeah, like do that." I said, I, I, well, no, some affectations I will do because people expect it, especially like in the song like "Only You." All the stuff he did with the trilling and the falling off, because the audience they sing along. And they know it, note for note, lick for lick, they know it. And so it's like some things are just too iconic not to do. But I was like, I'm not going to imitate Tony Williams. I'm just going to sing like I sing and interpret these songs, which, I mean, this this is the genre of music I love anyway. So it wasn't that difficult for me to embrace the style. Um, But I'm not about imitating the lead singer, you know, um, 
I stay true to the song, and but I also stay true to myself. Um, and it's gone. Oh, like I said, every, after every show, everybody's like, "You sound just like him." And I was like, "I just say thank you." But in my mind, I'm like, "No, I don't." Like, <laughs> <laughs> like we sound nothing. Like alike. this job is great, but I know that I'm not. Exist- right. I said we don't. We sound nothing alike. But I, I, I know what they hear, and I know why they say that. But um, are the platters always performing with strings on stage? Not always. Um, always with a, with a rhythm section. Um, sometimes with horns. My only time with them thus far with strings was in Japan and Tokyo. And that was amazing because it just added so much warmth to the sound. But we don't always do strings. It's always a band, always a rhythm section, um, bass, guitar, drums, and keyboard. Um, Usually a horn section sometimes. That adds so much as well. But the strings, it's so nice when we have it, but it's not always. Okay. And we travel with our own band sometimes. We travel with we travel with our MD, who's the keyboard player, all the time. But then sometimes we bring a drummer. Then sometimes we bring the whole band. It depends on where we are. But usually when we get to places, there's a house band, and so we we go through sound check and we they have the charts usually ahead of time. And 30 minutes, we run through the show and hit it. Hit it big. Yeah. Well, if you want to see Kenny Williams, come to Zach Theater. He does the Z Lounge happy hour performance before the show. So, Kenny Williams, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Excellent. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Well, that is great stuff. Very fun. Thank you, Kenny Williams. And that's the show. I'll see about getting a comedy person on the next episode, goof around, and uh, do some comedian stuff. Thanks for listening. Here's some more platters for you. It's twilight time Out of the mist your voice is calling Tis twilight time When purple colored curtains mark the end of day I'll hear you, my dear, at twilight time